Welcome back to What Would Mozart Do? My guest today is Bobby Hübner, Managing Director of The Accomplished Traveller, which is a lifestyle travel concierge company. Our paths first crossed when we were studying at the University of Michigan, and today we caught up after many years. In our chat, we talk about what Bobby did to create a life he loves and how his background in music influences his work in the leisure travel industry. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. I know. It's so many years since we've spoken. I know. And it's like everything and nothing has changed. You look exactly the same. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but of course, That's of good. course. <laughs> I was trying to work out whilst waiting. How long has it been? Let's see. I've lived in New York for 12 years now. So it's got to be at least 12 or 13 years. Yeah. Right? Because I, it's 13 years because I finished at Michigan in 2007. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My goodness. So, crazy. so you're, you're based in London now, right? I'm based in London, yes. And you're still in New York? Still in New York. So I moved here 12 years ago. I met my husband 10 years ago. Uh-huh. And we've stayed in the same neighborhood ever since. I spent one year on the Upper East Side and then moved back out to this apartment in this neighborhood. Um, yeah, because I, I was looking you up, not too studiously, but a little bit of research, just to, to know what you've been up to since we've last spoken. I mean, you've, you've done so much. It's, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's you've, been very, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, so tell me about it. What happened after, after Michigan? So after Michigan, I moved to New York and um, I was doing auditions and doing some, you know, recordings and some background vocals and really was bartending full time to pay the bills. And to, I realized that the amount of time that I was spending working to make ends meet was taking me away from auditioning. And I didn't like this um, instability and the unpredictability of not knowing where money was coming from. Yeah. And I realized that, that it's, not, it's not what I feel fulfilled doing. I wanted to always love music and I wasn't loving it. I wasn't loving the work of getting work. Mm-hmm. And uh, why do you think is that? Were you prepared for that? That that might happen, or I don't. I think that I had always loved music as as a passion, and the moment that it became a job, it it, it sucked away some of that love, mm-hmm. and I I didn't want to lose that. Right. So I interviewed for a couple of positions and took took some things, um, sort of short term, and then fell into a role doing advertising sales for a Swedish-owned publishing house. And it was like a game of improv every day because I was speaking with people who who had no idea what I looked like. And I was just able to take some of my skills from from acting and matching and mirroring and uh, just having an organic conversation with people. And I loved it. And within the first six months, I was their top grossing ad salesperson in all of North America. Um, No one had any idea that I was 25 years old and, you know, sitting there in my little gladiator sandals and my linens. Uh, And, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun uh, for a while. The print division was downsizing. I was laid off. And in that time, I spent three months really getting to enjoy living in New York. Mm 
and spending a lot of time running and drinking rosé and laying out on my rooftop and really analyzing what I wanted to do. And I received some career advice from, uh, from a mentor who said, you know, make a list of the things that really bring you joy. It can be mundane things. It can be big things. He said it could be that you really enjoy a perfectly chilled shrimp cocktail or that you really enjoy a balanced martini on a hot day, you know, something like that. So I, I did, I made that list and he said, take that list and analyze each opportunity as it presents itself mm-hmm. and see how many of those things on your list are you then able to enjoy deeper, greater, more often and see, should that be your next step? That's great. In that, yeah, I, I, it really resonated with me and an opportunity presented itself with a very small company. It was only two of us with my now colleague, Jason and I spoke with him, interviewed with him, and he was looking for a number two, someone to help him out. I told him, I will gladly be your assistant, but I would really love the opportunity to also grow the company with you. Mm -hmm. And he said, that's great. I really appreciate your ambition, but right now it's just the two of us. We've since grown to a team of nine in our New York office that I look after, as well as our independent contractors. And what we do is we are essentially, we are a luxury travel concierge company. And we do essentially event production for individuals and their families on a grand scale. So say you or I wanted to go to Florence, Mm -hmm. we'd most likely want to see the Statue of David, which could be done with a guide. However, for our clientele, we're able to shut down the Academia Gallery for a private dinner underneath the Statue of David with a chamber orchestra and world-class performers bought out of their performances to perform for you privately. And, and do you get David to sit down and have dinner as well? I, that is one thing that we are not able to do. Um, you, is that David, the next step? David is very out? strict. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's, he's, he's kind of rigid in, and set in his ways, isn't he? You know, we're working on him. We're working on him. Yeah. He's, he's very stiff. <laughs> <laughs> and just remind me the, the name of your company. The name of the company is The Accomplished Traveler. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've seen a lot of amazing photographs and trips that you've taken and publicity that you've done for the, for the company. Was that part of your job description, as it were, or is that just a, an addition to the job? Part of, part of the job is being able to offer firsthand experience and knowledge of the experience and the destination when someone is spending on such a grand scale, you want to be able to speak to the specific details of the experience. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the environment. Anyone with money can build a beautiful hotel, mm-hmm. but it's the people who are there who give those walls life, breath, soul, a panache, the whole experience. Yes. So what's the process? What is the process for a project, where do you start? And you you say you you give them the you do the research in the actual experience. So do you go to locations and see what it is, or is it mainly done over via the telephone or it's, Skype or whatever? It's a combination of both. We consult with our clients and discuss what they're looking for, be it a destination, be it an experience, be it emotions that they want to feel. We then will 
propose options for them to go and have that experience. And within that, some of our work is to surprise and delight them. You know, if someone, say, wants to come to New York and have the best fried chicken in New York, we can do that. However, we can also bring in Marcus Samuelson as your private chef to cook for you in your hotel suite and prepare a paired meal, the same meal that he cooked for President Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama. Yeah. You know, it's it's listening to what the what the client, what the guest is looking for mm-hmm. and not hearing the strict parameters, but hearing those as a guideline and then opening that up for creative solutions. Creative solutions and creative uh, research, you know, because it's, yes. it's really uh, thinking outside the box of general tourism. It very much is. It very much is. And it's about relationships and those partnerships that you have and seeing where someone's expertise or background may give you an opportunity to both give them time to shine and also give the client an experience that they would have never otherwise been able to have. Which skills are you using every day that you think, oh, I, I learned this when I was studying music? I think daily I, I, use, I use skills from acting classes, both in improv, matching and mirroring, one of the first rules of improv is that you don't say no, you say yes, and then you build off of that. And I think that rule transfers very, very seamlessly into the world that I'm working in right now. I would also say that the time and meticulous uh, attention to detail that you spend in working on a piece um, and preparing that piece to be performed is a very similar skill set to the analysis and troubleshooting that we do when putting together a an event or a day or a full scale itinerary for a family or a client. And how long does it take you to put together such an? I'm, I mean, I know it would be dependent on how extravagant or how large the project is, but let's say. A day outing in New York. How long would you know, it take to put that together? You know, I'm very fortunate that we have those strong relationships and partnerships here in New York. It all depends on what we would be doing. You know, if we're doing, it could be something that we're able to put together on the fly very quickly um, with a few text messages fired off and just instructions on where to arrive. Or it could be something that we spend that we spend months working on bringing together logistics to set up a, a private, you know, version of the Met Gala for someone, for instance, the sky's the limit. So it, I, I would say that the life cycle of the project is as individual and unique as each project that we're working on. Yeah. And I, I love that. Obviously uh, your creativity can just go anywhere. It's, it's sort of, there is no boundaries and you're, given the opportunity to really just think as creatively as you possibly can. It, it is very true. I'd say that with any production, there are boundaries and constraints. And similarly, we do have some boundaries and constraints, um, one being budget, learning to work within a budget, or learning that there is no budget. And what does that mean for someone on 
one scale? And what does that mean for someone on another scale of spend? Another daily lesson that we apply is learning how to take a note from a director, from a conductor. Similarly, we take those notes from our clients and it is not up for discussion. It's not up for debate. It is, That's it is feedback. Exactly. <laughs> it is feedback that is being given and it's up to you to apply that and to improve on the relationship that you have and put that into practice. That's amazing. I want to come back to your list, if I may, the list of things that made you happy. Would you care to share? Or pick, I would be pick your favorite to. ones. <laughs> I, I, it's very funny because I, I did have a chilled shrimp cocktail on, on my list. Yeah. And as an industry, there's a, there's a joke that at every event, there will be a shrimp cocktail. And at every event, people will beeline for the shrimp cocktail and the bar first. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, so I would just bit. go for the gin and tonic because I I'm, <laughs> I, I can't have uh, shellfish. I'm allergic to it. So as long as there's at my event, please just a good supply of gin and tonic. Just well noted. Just well make noted. a little note there. <laughs> uh, you know, I also put on my list that I really enjoy spending quiet time on the beach, and I'm very fortunate that now part of my job is to go to these destinations and speak to you know the character of the people who are there. You know, a, a beach in St. Barts is very different from a beach in San Juan, very different from a beach in Miami. Um, it's a totally different beach in Turks and Caicos. It's a very different vibe and feel. And, you know, what is right for one person at one time may not be right for another person. You know, i not not on the beach so much, <laughs> but... I, I've had a similar experience when I was doing my research, both for my PhD and in postdoc work, trying to convince, and I mean, I, I was successful in doing so, but trying to convince slash justify why you need to go to the place that this person composed this piece of music or where they conducted or, you know, where they worked. But I, one thing I've never been able to pinpoint is what is that je ne sais quoi that makes it better to be there in person than looking at archives that are digitized and instead going to the actual archive and see that letter and see that person's handwriting, the ink that came from that person's pen that was in that person's hand. Do you know what it is? What makes these experiences so, so poignant? I think that our brain is observing and taking in so much information all at once that there's so many environmental elements mm-hmm. that come into play both passively and actively when you are in that location, when you are feeling that temperature, when you are feeling that breeze and those sensations on your skin, when you are seeing the colors of that sunset when you are tasting these historical flavors and experiencing the warmth of hospitality there, there is something that is really transformative that happens to you. And I imagine that it's the same in looking at that piece of music and in seeing it in the location and in hearing it played in those halls that it was written for. Mm-hmm. You know, the acoustics are change location to location. And so to okay. hear what that composer was hearing and envisioning and 
and had in mind for that piece is incredibly moving. Exactly. And of course, that's, that's your own interpretation of that. But that is where human interaction comes, to, comes into play, isn't it? It is. It is. Back to the list. The okay. Ha- the happy list. How hard or difficult was it to make the list? It was hard to get started. And I do think, I think we put a tremendous amount of pressure on ourselves to be successful and to have each, I'm a perfectionist. That is something that I have grown and burnished years (laughs) and years and years of work. But, you know, sitting down to write something, there is, there is a, pressure that you put on yourself, that it needs to be great, that it needs to be something that you won't be embarrassed of when you look back on it mm-hmm. 10 years from now, when we have conversations like this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there was a, a certain amount of, of buildup to that. And then once I started putting pen to paper and acknowledged that this was a list just for me, that this was a list just for now, that this didn't need to stand the test of time, that this could be something that that changes and evolves based on my needs and my desires and wants for that situation. You know, letting go of that allowed me to to put that list together for then. Have you since made a new list? You know, I have started a new list. I have started a new list. You know, this this time where we have been spending nothing but time in our homes. I think we all have been making lists. (laughs) (laughs) But it's been more of like a a list of accomplishments or things that I'd like to accomplish during this time. And rather than crossing things off on the list, I've been highlighting them because it does give you a sense of mental accomplishment when you look at that list and see all of those things highlighted. Yeah. I mean, this this is more philosophical, I suppose, but why then not cross it out if you've done it. Do you feel that highlighting it is more celebrating it? I do. I feel like when I look and see a bright highlighted line, it's a bit more, it's a bit happier. It's a yeah, bit, it, it uh, goes with your personality. <laughs> you're, you're not a cross it through personality. You're like, no, I, I, am. <laughs> I, I am. Subtlety is not something that is a strong suit of mine. Yeah, I don't know. And it also shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It would be wrong. <laughs> so what what are your plans for, for the future? What, what are you looking at? You know, I don't want to say that I am content because that feels stagnant, but I am quite content with where we are. I'm looking forward to growing our company and streamlining and making it more efficient so that we're able to enjoy life while we are working. In terms of next steps, my husband and I are looking at buying a house outside of the city so that we can, you know, have the best of both worlds and be in the the vibrant life in the city, but also enjoy a little bit of quiet gardening. That sounds very exciting and would not have been on my list 10 years ago. And pets? You know, especially with as often as I am traveling, it makes pets very difficult. I think that at some point when we do have a house, we will want a dog, but... We both like the independence of being able to drop everything on a Thursday and hop on a plane and jet off someplace together. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's very fun. It's very fun. And I don't think that that's something I'll ever want to give up. Oh, no. No, it, it sounds too fabulous. You know, just, <laughs> just, just maintain this. <laughs> I mean, 
this past February, one of my last trips that I took before we before we were in this time locked down, I hopped on a plane and essentially for the weekend flew to Rwanda to go trekking with some gorillas and to spend some time with the gorilla family. And on that quick trip, I set foot on four continents in 48 hours. Oh, wow. And that was really, really spectacular. It makes the world feel very vast and also very small at the same time. Absolutely. And so was this partially research for a client or is this, this was you wanted to do? This was. This was a new opening of a property. It was very exciting and is very exciting. It's the one and only in, uh, in Rwanda. They have two properties, the one and only Gorilla's Nest and the one and only Nguyen Nguyen House. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, not one that rolls easily off of my tongue. Um, but it was, it was truly fantastic. The, the properties in Rwanda were gearing up to host the meeting of the Commonwealth this summer. And so it was exciting for me to be setting foot into places where her majesty would be staying. And that was very, very exciting. Amazing. Yeah. If you were to give yourself advice to the Bobby of 20 years ago, what piece of advice would you give him? Wow, that is a very good question. I, I think I would tell him to, to relax and enjoy the process a bit more and to not put so much pressure on himself. However, I don't think that I would change anything because I don't know that I would have ended up in the same place had I not gone through some of those difficulties, some of those struggles, had I not made some of those mistakes, I would not have the breadth of experience that I have now and that I can look back on and laugh. And are you still involved in music? I sing a ferocious karaoke. I <laughs> have been known to bring down houses of tens in the beaches of North Carolina, the, the bars of Astoria. And that for me is fulfilling enough. It is uh, all of the pressure is gone and it's so much it's so much fun to be able to share that passion and and that joy yeah i i think it's so often the misconception that once you're in music you have to always be in music or if you left music you can never get back in and i also think that there's there is a, a sense that you are leaving music. And I don't think that you are. I think that you are lessening how much focus is on it. It will never actually leave. And the, the knowledge that you've gained and that you've built and that technique and that training never actually leaves. It, it diminishes and is certainly something that you need to bring back into practice if you, if you want. But it's, it never leaves. It, it's always there. Yeah. One thing, if you had an audience of people who are wondering what to do with their music or where they f their music fit into the world, what would you suggest? I would suggest going back to that list and deciding, defining what is your music and what is your focus and not necessarily finding the space where that fits in, but building that space for you. I look to some of my colleagues and some of my classmates who have found a niche and found something that they were very passionate about within the world of music and have, in fact, built a space for that. 
and have met with great success because they're bringing something new and different to that world and not necessarily following the standards that were set beforehand. You know, the great composers were not necessarily following the standards. They were taking the standards and finding their own niche within them. Yeah. Well, I just love the energy that you are radiating um, through Zoom. I, I'm not sure when I will be in New York, but whenever I'm in New York, I will have my job. My home is open to you. I cannot wait to get you that gin and tonic. Yes. And there will be no shrimp cocktail in sight for you. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're very welcome. Excellent. Thank you so much for chatting to me. You're welcome. And, You're welcome. Um, all the best for, for your company. It's Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to talk with you. I miss and you. you. Uh, we'll, we'll catch up very soon. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of What Would Mozart Do? If you want to hear more, you can find other episodes on your podcast provider. Do you have any questions for future guests or would you want to join in the conversation by being a guest yourself? If so, then write to me at info at whatwouldmozartdo.com.